Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast, season number four. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. This is a podcast for people who want to be better prepared to thrive in their relationships, work, and life, no matter how good or how bad of a situation they find themselves in. So every week, I'll bring you a conversation with a forward-thinking, world-class expert in an area of practical survival, emergency preparedness, contingency medicine, or leadership, all to help you attain your fullest potential and increase your survival IQ. Along the way, we'll cut through the clutter and take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you and your loved ones need to survive almost any emergency, crisis, or disaster. And guys, you're in for a real treat today as I begin an important series with my friend Creek Stort, based off of his new book, The Disaster Ready Home. Today we're going to discuss the simplest, most affordable, and practical long-term emergency food plan I've ever seen in my life. Then we'll discuss how to easily build a two-week, two-month, and even a two-year food supply in a short period of time without breaking your budget, stressing yourself out, or going into debt. And before we're all done, we're going to get into the five threats to long-term food storage and discuss an amazing way you can preserve and store your food for up to 35 years while retaining its taste, nutrition, and freshness all that time. But before we get into all this great content, here's three things I want to encourage you to do. First, go ahead and share this podcast right now with three friends. Why, you ask? Because almost everyone I know, and probably a lot of people you know, are concerned about having enough food stored away for an emergency or disaster. So you can pay it forward right now with a couple of taps on your screen or mouse to help someone else out by sending them a link to this podcast. Next, during the pandemic, I stepped away from this podcast and my YouTube channel so I could accelerate the research and the writing of the Tiny First Aid Guide. Because probably a lot like you, I began to see how fragile our first response and emergency medical services really are. And now with more and more doctors, nurses, police, and first responders losing their jobs or quitting, I feel like it's more important than ever for us all to learn the essential skills we need to become more medically prepared and ready to administer first aid at all times. So I'm really excited and proud to announce that the Tiny First Aid Guide is here. It's been a real blessing to see it receive great reviews and become a number one new release in first aid over on Amazon. So I really want to get this guide in your hands as soon as possible. To do this, you can go over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com. All you have to do is load up your cart with one or as many tiny first aid guides as you want and use code FIRSTAID20 at checkout for 20% off tiny first aid guides. Trust me, you and everyone you care about needs this guide. So go check it out. And last but not least... Go visit today's sponsor of the show, Outdoor Core, where you can learn outdoor skills online. It's fantastic, really, and I've taken several classes over there. I've even got a course over there called Full Proof Bow Drill. And not only can you learn some cool outdoor skills from world-class experts on Outdoor Core, you can also become an instructor. That's right. If you've got some sort of kind of sweet outdoor skill superpower, you too can become an instructor on Outdoor Core. Some instructors are making well over a thousand dollars a month and you can too. So go check out OutdoorCore.com today. Okay, let's get into today's discussion with Creek. (laughs) 
Hey, Creek, welcome to the show, brother. David, it is fantastic to be here, man. Appreciate you. Man, I appreciate you, and you got a lot a lot going on. Full disclosure, you and I have really kind of gained a friendship over the last several years. Dude, congratulations on the new book, The Disaster Ready Home on Amazon, 4.9 stars, number one new release in survival and emergency preparedness. Thank you very much, man. I spent I spent the entire pandemic working on that book. <laughs> wow, that's good timing, huh? Yeah, no, this has been, uh, you know, I was being interviewed on the radio the other day, and somebody said, how long did it take you to write this book? And I said, well, I've been writing this book in my head for about two decades. Mm. I said, but it took me, you know, almost a year to put it together. So that's that's how I answered that question. Right. It's a fantastic book. Uh, we'll probably reference it through this podcast because a lot of the content we are going to talk about here is uh, pulled in one way or another from the book and and other writings and videos and courses that you've done, right? That's right. Yeah. So we're going to, this is uh, kind of an off the cuff discussion of a lot of things that I've, you know, really dig into in, in the book. And, you know, if, if, if someone has the book, who might be listening, this is going to be great supplemental um, uh, conversation. And if you don't have the book, there's still going to be just an absolute load of takeaways uh, from, from listening to these discussions. Okay. Well, well, Creek, you've been on the podcast several times with me. Since we're kind of launching a new season here, we'll, we'll inevitably get new listeners that ha- are not familiar with you, although I think they, everybody should be, and they will be as we move along here. But can you maybe give us a little bit of a refresh on your backstory right up to how and why you wrote this new book and uh, really kind of spent a year or two or a couple of decades really working this content so that what we're going to engage with today is is like totally legit stuff that people ought to be thinking about. Yeah, so I've been a lifelong student of uh, survival and preparedness. Uh, I got my start in the Boy Scouts and uh, really fell in love with the idea of being prepared when I was a kid. Um, I went to school actually to be a pharmacy major and ended up deciding that, you know, I wanted to teach survival skills instead. So I cobbled together a business um, while I was in college teaching the survival skills that I knew and spent the next 12 years trying to figure out how to actually make a living doing it. So, um, but I've been teaching survival skills now and uh, creating survival content and disaster preparedness content and products for, um, over 25 years. Um, I have, it has been a big, big part of my life. I've been doing this full time now for about 15 years and you may have seen me on other channel or other channels. Um, I've hosted a few television shows about, uh, survival and preparedness, uh, fat guys in the woods could survive with Creek Stewart SOS, um, how to survive. Um, I've written a ton of books on the subject too. And I've taught tons of, uh, boots on the ground training. I've been on a lot of television shows and podcasts talking about survival. And so I've, I've got my fingers in about anything and everything that has to do with survival and preparedness on one level. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just a big geek when it comes to survival and preparedness. And I, and I love teaching people uh, whatever I know. So today we're going to focus on some entry level, easy to implement emergency food storage strategies. And this is just opened up to anybody. You can be suburban, urban, you could be somebody who lives in a more rural area. 
we're going to try and really focus on some universal principles that everybody can use today. Absolutely. Uh, I think that if there's one underlying premise of the book, um, it's that um, it's 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 reducing the overwhelm and what it means to take some really serious preparedness steps to move the needle in that department for you and your family. And I learned a long time ago that the harder something is and the more expensive it is, the least likely someone is to implement it. So I have, I have boiled down so many of these uh, disaster preparedness uh, strategies and tips into really, really simple and affordable action steps. And the book is all about taking action. It's not about reading. It's not about listening. It's all about taking action. And that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm going to deliver today actionable steps that are easy, affordable, and that can really move the needle. It's not about going off grid or moving to the mountains or becoming a homesteader. Although some of the things we'll be talking about can be implemented into any of those lifestyles. So this is really for everyone. It's for the average person in the average household um, in America and beyond who may have never even thought about survival and disaster preparedness before. Maybe right at the beginning here, Let's just focus on why emergency food storage at this particular point. Yeah, so in in this particular uh, session with you, I think we'll just stick to um, the beginning steps of long-term food storage. It's really the, the topic that most people think about when they get started in preparedness. Mm-hmm. They think about food first, food so first. let's just go ahead and sure. Yeah, food first. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, like so, even even locally here, the number one question I get from folks at our church and folks around town is this is this is the number one question. This is the number one area that they're most concerned about. I mean, food's yeah. emo- food's emotional, and you know it. It's a very it's obviously a very important priority. So, all right. So let's talk about. I see, like in the introduction of your book, that you just mentioned that before kind of like just general disaster ready home preparedness stuff, you know, people sort of kind of understood it, but they didn't really, they've never lived it. And you had just mentioned in your book, just the COVID-19 pandemic, when we started seeing, you know, food on, you know, shelves being wiped out in hours, sometimes it really started kind of to hit home. So why don't you go ahead and start us through, uh, some of these bullet points on why we should really be considering a long-term food storage plan. Well, you know, before I even before I even do that, I just want to kind of exclamation point on the end of your sentence there because sure. it really was the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic is responsible for. I mean, I can I can thank the pandemic in one regard because it really brought top of mind this topic to a lot of people who were not thinking about it before. And uh, it is it is a topic that a lot of people are thinking about. That two years ago it wasn't even on the radar for them. And when they were quarantined and when they saw what was happening um, during that whole process, a lot of people were really starting to think like, you know, I think it's a good idea to have a buffer of some of these basic supplies at home. And, and quite honestly, that's really what was the catalyst for creating this book. So there's a number of, um, of real life, really practical things that can, that can that can cause the need for emergency food storage. Number one, just a food supply interruption. Um, our 
our food supply channels are they're pretty robust but they are they are absolutely susceptible to interruption from a huge number of events whether it's large scale natural disaster well whether it's something related to the government whether it's transportation or fuel um, there can be a huge um, number of factors that affect our food supply chain yep and so we have to be prepared yep it's yeah. much, much more fragile than I, since we never really experienced this before in our lifetimes, at least I have not, and I've been around a long time, We, I don't think any of us had any idea how fragile the supply chain could be. We, our, our food supply industry has pretty much, has pretty much gone to a just-in-time inventory system mm-hmm. um, where if any, if any of the, the particular vendors or supply uh, factors are interrupted for that entire process I mean the, the entire the entire system goes down for whatever um, category of food we might be talking about and so uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into these supply chains and uh, an interruption in just one of them um, shuts the whole thing down uh, pretty quick that's right so next let's talk about you know access to grocery stores yeah so Natural disasters are the number one culprit for um, just flat out preventing you from leaving your home, whether you're whether it's a snowstorm or whether it's something else. Um, there are situations that occur where you just can't get to the grocery store for some reason. Uh, and, you know, we saw a little taste of what it was like for us to not even be able to go to the grocery store on some occasions uh, during during that whole pandemic situation. But you have to think about, you know, what if I couldn't get to the grocery store that that has. And so that's that's a factor to consider as well. Yeah. And a lot of people that are listening, we do have kind of an international audience. So there's people that are listening like who are in Italy, for instance, and the way that their regions and their country handled allowing people even to, you know, freely move about towns and congregate in places like grocery stores uh, was different. So in some places it was even more severe and more uh, more of an issue. Not only could they n- maybe, maybe they could get to the grocery store, but they weren't even allowed to in certain s- situations. You know, I visited Puerto Rico after, her, after the devastating Hurricane Maria, and um, we went and visited uh, some villages um, kind of off the beaten path in Puerto Rico. And there was one in particular I'll never forget. There was a bridge, the only bridge that connected that entire community of people to all of the modern conveniences that they that they needed, the grocery store, pharmacies, medicine. That bridge was knocked out with mm-hmm. Hurricane Maria. And these people were on their own literally for weeks um, and had 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 constructed little zip lines to get food and supplies across the across the river. Uh, it was incredible, and that's an example of how you know a hurricane it shut off an entire village of people um, from access to food and supplies. Um, just yet another example. Another one that's interesting that's not even necessarily disaster related is job loss. Yeah, um, there's there's something to be said for uh, preparing. Uh, above food and water and food especially because it's more costly uh, in advance and it 
you know, it prepares you for all kinds of things. And um, having, you know, having an interruption in your own supply chain is one of those, whether that's money um, and you just can't afford to buy groceries. Well, you know what? If you've got a buffer of, of food on hand, that can make that situation a whole lot more tolerable. Yeah, and at the time of this recording, we have rising food costs. I'm not going to get in, into any details. All we have to do is go to the grocery store and look at a gallon of milk at, at what it is now or a stick of butter or yogurt or anything that we would typically buy on a weekly basis and see that food costs are going up very significantly. So, you know, one interesting point is that, you know, could storing and preserving food literally become an investment that is at this time appreciating in value? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I look at food as as an investment personally and i actually treat my long-term food storage like i treat investments you know for those who might be familiar with you know investing you've probably heard the phrase dollar cost averaging where you invest in you put away savings a little bit each week over time and at the end of a certain period of time that becomes a substantial investment a substantial uh, uh, savings of money and so if you're putting in a little bit over time what you can afford then uh, it's a really great strategy uh to to amass a decent savings and the phrase for that is referred to as dollar cost averaging and i look at the same thing when it comes to food um i mean very few people have thousands of dollars to invest in long-term food storage and therefore the strategy we will be discussing is dollar cost averaging your food where you're tucking away a little bit at a time each and every week. That's a really good point, Creek. That's awesome. Yeah. And another thing is that although food costs are going up, it bulk foods are still pretty readily available. And, you know, from what I've seen, still affordable, reasonably affordable anyway. So, I, I like the dollar cost averaging because we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about assessing people's needs and making sure that they don't become overwhelmed and that's gonna be something we'll talk about probably throughout this whole series. But it's you know, the big thing is to start now and I like the dollar cost averaging, like every week doing a little bit to, you know, continue to build that cash. Absolutely. It's I think it's the I think it's, you know, the key to not only you know financial savings dollar cost averaging your money but it's this it's the key to making making this practical as well yeah and if the dollar is actually devaluing right now and and, uh, and food is going up in value then it it's going to be a pretty good investment we've all experienced i'm just going to call this panic buying theory where the shelves can be wiped out in hours. I, I think that's something that's really good for us to be aware of and and keep in the, the frontal lobe of our memory so that, uh, you know, kind of spurs us on to, I guess, maybe not put this off, but start looking at some reasonable ways to, you know, just continue to move forward. And I, I think the last big thing, and you alluded to this in the beginning of the section, was... If we just look at the world now, just some simple critical thinking skills, observing where our governments are, where our culture is shifting, and all the internal and external threats, just 
just leads me to like this is a really good idea to get on pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, if one thing to say about panic buying is that if if you follow the mentality of it's not going to happen to me and you wait until you need it in a disaster, well, everyone else needs it too. Yep. And it just is not going to be available. And you'll be positioning yourself to be in that fear of missing out on, you know, that FOMO. You're going to FOMO into, you know, just grabbing whatever you can and you're going to, you know, exacerbate, I think is is a good word, the problem and become a panic buyer yourself. Yeah. All right. So one big thing, Creek, that I just want to maybe emphasize here is like what sort of a mindset should people have going into this? And do you think it's a smart idea for people to kind of look at where they're at now and assess, just kind of assess their their food cash or their food supply plan? Yeah. So I think one of, one of the biggest things that prevents from in my study of this and people uh, who are getting into this, um, one of the biggest things that prevents most people from doing it and actually taking action is the feeling that um, that it's already too late, that they just, you know, they have anything in, in place. And I just, you know, because I don't have anything, I just don't know where to start to get things in order. And that, I think that's the first thing we want to wipe out right away is that this this does not have to be perfect. Um, I have a saying where I just say done is better than perfect. And your food system, your water system, your preps that you have in place, none of them have to be perfect. Um, imperfect preps are better, no preps at all. And we're, we're going to work you through this. You know, I'm going to give you, be sure to get out a notepad and a paper right now, because some of the action steps I'm going to give you over the course of the next few minutes um, are, are, are little gold nuggets in the disaster preparedness um, realm. And I'm going to deliver some serious value here moving forward. That's excellent. So let's discuss the importance of a realistic goal. I think I'm going to say in my own personal life that so many, uh, so many unrealistic expectations just create uh, innumerable stresses in my life. So, you know, st- why don't you start us off here and, and step us through, you know, how to just kind of assess where we're at and start with a realistic goal system. Well, I, I think it's easiest to wrap your head around two-week increments. You know, there's a famous quote, uh, I don't know even who it's by, but you, how, how can you expect to get there if you don't know where you're going? Um, and if you work in two week increments, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around. Uh, so I think everyone should start with two weeks, even FEMA, um, suggests that everyone have two weeks worth of water and food supply on hand. Um, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna work for more than that. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna work up to a month and maybe two months, maybe even three months and maybe even longer for some people who have some really serious concerns. And, um, but if you're if you're setting your goals, let's start with two weeks. Once we meet that goal, and I'll we'll talk about exactly how to meet that goal. But once you meet that goal, set your sights on one month, and then once you meet one month, then set your sights on a month and a half, and work in two week increments. Uh, the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and and you're never going to swallow the whole thing at once. That's really good. So. Why don't you take us through a couple of different broad categories of long-term food storage? 
Okay, so we've got three main categories. There's there's what we call the grocery store category. Okay, those are those are the items, and we're going to dig into this in a lot of detail here in a couple of minutes. But those are the items that you can just go and buy at the grocery store. Uh, we'll focus on items that have a shelf life of one to three years. So that's a category that that utilizes the principle called rotation. And uh, that's category number one. Category number two is bulk dry goods. Some of these can be purchased at the grocery store, but we're talking about big bags of dried goods like rice and beans and uh, various grains and pastas, bulk dry goods that you can buy in bulk packaging and repackage at home. Uh, we're going to talk about repackaging, exactly how to do it, why to do it, to protect your investment. And we'll do that in a, in a, in a following podcast where we, where we kind of take this stuff to the next level. Um, and then the third category is <clears throat> freeze-dried foods um, that you can uh, buy. You can buy by the bucket or by the package. They uh, they have a shelf life of thirty plus years. You just add water, and you've got a meal ready to eat. They're a little bit expensive, but you can also do that at home. And I know David, you have experience with that, and I'm sure you'll share some of that experience and wisdom with everybody. But um, those, those are really the only three categories of food we're going to talk about. So you've really simplified this down to, um, I mean, I've, I've come up with some lessons and some outlines and I broke it down a little bit further, but I think this is these, and you said three broad categories to me, three broad categories feels really doable. So I'm, I'm excited about this. You don't need all three. I mean, you can, you, you can, you can create your entire pantry with just the first category that we're going to talk about, and that's the rotation grocery store items. I'm going to throw a little term in here. Um, I've spoken about the food in your pantry as EDK food, everyday kitchen food. So that's, that's <laughs> like you can keep your – you can use it, Greek. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, man, I, I love it. The, the, I think that's the first topic we're going to talk about is EDK. Right, right, right yeah. And, you know, that's – most people in their kitchen, even smaller kitchens, can store one to two weeks worth of food right there. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into this whole rotation concept. What, maybe what do you, what do you mean by that? So in your house, you've got two pantries. You've got your kitchen pantry, which is right next to your refrigerator and maybe above your sink or something like that. And then you've got an extension of that kitchen pantry, and that's. That's what we call a long-term foods pantry. Maybe it's a closet. Maybe it's a shelf in the basement. Maybe it's a corner office. I don't, it doesn't matter where it's at. It's an extra place that you keep some extra food. So we need to understand that there's the kitchen pantry, and then there's a long-term food storage pantry. Um, so the first step in this first category is, and this is the first step everyone should take, because... I've identified the biggest mistake that people make with long-term food storage, and it's this right here. They go out and buy stuff that they don't eat on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's on sale. Maybe it's just a huge liquidation of food because a grocery store is going out of business and everything's cheap. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a common mistake. You, you run out and you buy food, maybe in a panic buying scenario, that you don't necessarily eat on a regular basis. And 99% of the time, that food is going to expire wherever you set it down at. And it's you've, you've wasted your time, you've wasted your money, 
and you're going to end up wasting that food. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Go for it. So I keep multiple, I keep more than three broad categories of food. And one of the categories that I do keep just because is MREs. Now, Mm -hmm. for various different reasons, we eat, uh, you know, pretty clean food by that, you know, organic, non-GMO, oftentimes grass-fed meat. Those sorts of things. So I don't, I don't prefer to eat MREs unless I, I need to, but I keep several boxes of them around. But Creek, that's not something I eat every day. So it's an investment that I've made. And how long do MREs normally last? Good question. I guess it varies, you know, on conditions. But, you know, I mean, they do have an expiration date. Roughly five years. I thought you were going okay. to slam dunk that one. Uh, yeah, so basically <laughs> five years. Most of your MREs have a little a little tab uh, that's based on heat, moisture, air, you know, your enemies, various enemies of food. And when that mm-hmm. changes to the wrong color, then you should really be inspecting or throwing out your MREs. And I'll tell you, in, mm-hmm. in the last 10 years when I've stocked a significant supply of MREs, I've eaten very few of them and had to throw out several boxes. And probably I got a, a few boxes around here that, that ought to go out right now. So I like this idea of stocking foods that, you're, that you commonly eat. I guess that's my major point right here. Yeah, and it, we can boil that down in uh, in two sentences. Store what you eat and eat what you store. And here's how to do that. You're going to pull out your notepad and your paper and sit down with your family and make a list of, this seems simple. It seems so simple, but there's something very powerful about writing this down. You're going to make a list of the top 10 to 20 food items that you and your family eat all the time. It's different for everybody. Maybe it's spaghetti night Thursdays, you know, maybe it's Chef Boyardee. Whatever you guys eat on a regular basis, write down the top 20, 10 to 20 of those items. But we want to keep it to the items that have a shelf life of one to three years. So we're not talking fresh produce. We're not talking fresh meats. We're, not, we're talking inner grocery store items like canned inner aisle grocery store items, canned goods boxed meals, uh, dried pastas, almost all of those have a shelf life of one to three years. So you're going to have a list of 10 to 20 of those items. And as you go to the grocery store on your regular trips, I want you to buy anywhere from two to six extras of some of those items, doesn't have to be all of them, just whatever your budget can afford. If it's only two extras of a couple of those items, that's fine. Maybe it's six. Each time you go to the grocery store, you're going to buy some extras. And you're going to put those items in that long-term food storage pantry. And when you run out of them in the kitchen, you're going to pull them from your long-term food storage pantry so that you rotate through those items that have a shelf life of one to three years so that you don't have to ever worry about them expiring because you're storing what you're eating and you're eating what you're storing. And as you go through the grocery store trips over the course of the next few weeks and months, you will slowly start to build the exact buffer of supply of food supply that you need that you know you're going to eat. And that concept right there, the concept of rotating through your most popular food items, that right there should be the basis 
for every single person's long-term food storage supply, at least in the very beginning. That's so much common sense, Creek. I mean, I, I think anybody anybody could do that. And when we started doing this, where were you anyway? <laughs> it would have been so much easier starting this way. It, it solves so many common problems. It, it you know it, you don't have to you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on you know food buckets. You don't have to. I mean, it eliminates so much, so many of the hurdles that that go through better. Like there's got to be more to it than this, but you know there isn't. And it's the simple things that people just don't do because they seem so simple. It's like, I wish I would have put $5 a week into a savings account from when I was, you know, five years old, right? Because right now I could be retired. And, and it's the same way with, with dollar cost averaging your food. You got to trickle that stuff into a long-term food storage pantry over time. And before you know it, you will easily have two weeks, probably much longer. And now you're just rotating through and you've always got that buffer of food. Let me just throw, I don't know if this is a curveball, but when you say rotation to one thing that I think about is the fact that, I mean, we have had situations even with our bulk foods, like, you know, rice and grains, uh, oatmeal, stuff like that in five-gallon buckets. And I know we're going to get to that. Like, so we keep storing, buying, you know, one or two or three extra items every time we go to the grocery store. That makes sense. But how do we rotate? Like, is there an easy system to rotate through that, that cash also so that you're not just always eating the freshest stuff, but you're actually rotating through the pasta noodles that are maybe a year old now yeah well i mean are, are we talking bulk the bulk dry goods or are we still talking those groceries those kind of single box meal or single can meal grocery yeah, item when i when i think of rotation uh one i one way that i think about this is that you're always rotating through all your stock so that your freshest stuff is is going into your cash and you're bringing forward uh, the things that yeah. have been in your cash. Does that make sense? I just thought maybe you could yeah. address that a little bit for people. Yeah, no, that's the exact concept of rotation. First in, first out. So um, with with these grocery store items, you want to keep them somewhat organized just in a visual inventory fashion so that you understand that the oldest item is at the front of the shelf and you're pulling that item first. If that means you have to label those with dates, uh, the best buy dates, it, so that they're more visual for you. Um, but oftentimes you can kind of visually do that just by simply putting the new items at the back of the shelf so that you know you're always pulling oldest items first. Um, and I only rotate, j just for the record, I personally only rotate this first category of grocery store items. Okay. Um, so the other two categories, the bulk dry goods that I repackage at home and any freeze-dried food that I might have at home, I don't rotate through that. I treat those as set-it-and-forget-it foods that have a 20-plus year shelf life. Okay, that's great. That's a really good explanation. I just wanted, I knew that, but I, I knew that that is part of what you were saying, but I wanted to make it very clear to people how they do this so they're always pull, pulling the oldest stuff uh, to the front to uh, use in their everyday meal preparations so that it's that two to three or four week cash that's right there is is always fresh and you always know that you've got pretty much like a year 
or two of storage of value left in your food. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even best buy dates um, have have some wiggle room in those. Um, almost sure. all foods now are labeled with a best buy date versus like an expiration date. And as long as like a canned good, for example, isn't bulging or leaking or dented or rusted. And when you open it, the food looks and smells like it normally looks and smells. And you know, because that's, you only buy food that you eat on a regular basis. So you know how it normally is supposed to look and smell. As long as you've, as long as all of those things check off, then chances are that the, that food's still very good to eat, even if you pushed, pushed the best buy date a little bit. Creek, since you mentioned it, I'm going to throw another thing in here. There's three basic enemies, and maybe you have you have more than this, but basically three enemies of long-term food storage. And when you mention, like, you know, on the box or the bottle or the can or whatever, there's a certain date on there, expiration date. You know, lawyers have, have pushed us, and, you know, regulations are good to have in certain situations, right? So we want to make sure that at the bare minimum, you know, we, we most of us look at a can or a, or a bag and say, okay, expiration date. Hey, you know, we're, we're past that, but there are certain things that you have to be cautious with. For instance, things with oils and nuts, they will go rancid and they will go rancid fairly close to the expiration dates. Often you need to smell those, but we've Mm -hmm. got three general enemies and I'm with you. I think legally we can't recommend that people eat stuff beyond uh, the expiration dates, but if you if you store your food well, and I know you're going to get into this more as we go, and eliminate whatever you can from these these particular three items I'm going to mention right now, you're going to extend a good, probably a, a, a good portion of your food even a bit longer. And those three enemies are heat, air, and light. Those are your enemies to long food, uh, long-term food storage. And they will degrade your food faster. And for instance, would be if you, you know, something might expire a lot, a lot quicker, a lot sooner than the expiration date. Even if you've got it in direct sunlight or, or packaged or in some sort of a, an area that is exposed to extreme heat. Do you have anything you want to throw in there about these, you know, kind of like storing things in proper locations so that you can maximize yeah. the the uh, long term storage potential. You make a really great point. You've mentioned three enemies of long-term food storage, heat, air, and I would, I would, I would specify oxygen as a part of that air and, um, and, and light or direct sunlight. Two others to certainly consider are moisture and just critters, pests. Uh, So five in total, I think covers all of your bases there. And you make a really good point about where to put your long-term food storage because it is important you don't want this in front of a south-facing sunny window that you know might be open and gets rained on right Uh, you don't want it in the shed out back in florida and um you know so using some common sense to try to mitigate those five threats as best as possible can go a long way to protecting your investment uh, basements are as long as they're not super moist um, are really great spots for long-term food storage uh, first floor uh, closets or um, shady corners are really great spots so just take those five threats into consideration and use common sense and you you should you should be good to go in that department um 
in the expiration date uh, conversation, uh, I I think that as long as you follow the mentality of first in, first out, and you're only buying the foods you eat and eating the foods, storing the foods you eat and eating the foods you store, then you shouldn't you shouldn't really have to play the guessing game with the best buy and expiration date. Just keep to the items that you eat. Just listen to me. Write, write this at the top of your paper. I will only buy the items that I eat on a regular basis and do not buy anything else period, unless you're planning on setting it and forgetting it for 20 plus years. And we'll talk about that. Excellent. Why don't you take us into bulk dry goods and kind of give us an overview of, of, uh, all of that. Yeah. So bulk dry goods is actually, I would say it's actually probably my favorite category of long-term storage because it's the real hands-on category. It's the fun category. Like if you, if you want to get into this a little bit, then the bulk dry goods category can be really fun for you and your family. Now, if you don't really want this to be much of, much of your lifestyle and you're just kind of like, you know what, I just want to have uh, you know, a month worth of road food on hand, hey, there's no problem with that whatsoever. But if you like this and you're kind of geeking out a little bit about long-term food storage, then bulk dry goods is going to be your best friend. So you know how when you go to like Costco or Sam's Club and you see those big 25 or 50 pound bags of rice mm-hmm. or um, or quick oats or very beans, you know, big like 20 pound pack bag of be- dry beans. That's what we mean by dry bulk goods. And I mean, they're still pulling seeds and dried grains out of the Egyptian pyramids. Okay, that 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 can still be grown. Okay, so this is a category of food was designed in nature for long term food storage. We just have to be very particular in how we do that, because if you go buy a bag of rice at the grocery store, it's going to come in, you know, either a woven fiber bag or a paper bag and that's not going to work for us when it when it comes to mitigating those five long-term food storage threats that we talked about so we're going to have to do some hand work which is really fun um, in repackaging those goods so that we can protect that investment long term and so you can expect for dry bulk goods like even even like an elbows, like a like a macaroni noodle or, or like a dried spaghetti, that's going to dry bulk good. Um, you can expect those items to last for, I mean, some of them, I guess, 15 years, but many of them, I would give 30 plus years of long-term food storage if you do it right. So you're really protecting your investment. You got to handle your food in the beginning a little bit. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to walk you through step-by-step how to do that in the next part to this series, because that's a little bit beyond beginner. So we're going to reserve that for if you want to go a little bit deeper. Uh, But those are the items we're talking about. Dried beans, lentils, pastas, grains, and rice. You are absolutely right. It's kind of like a geek out thing. And we probably the, as far as calories, we probably store four times more calories in five gallon buckets here than anything else. I believe it's fun, man. You know, like I really enjoy, you know, looking at my five gallon buckets of food. (laughs) In fact, we, in fact, I build forts with my kids. 
out of our five gallon buckets of food down in the basement. We like pull out the five gallon buckets and we actually build little mini forts out of them. And so, um, and so five, the five gallon buckets of food can be, can be kind of fun. And it's a really, really great way, um, on a budget like this is not expensive when you, when you dial this down per meal, I mean, we're talking pennies per meal of beans and rice, uh, when you buy bulk dry goods and, um, you can amass some really significant long-term food storage pretty quickly, um, on a very, very tight budget for a couple hundred dollars, you can get easily a month's worth of meals for one person for a couple hundred dollars. If you do this right. That's excellent. So next up, we've got freeze drying Creek. Mm -hmm. I I love freeze drying. Uh, I know you do. Well, this is your specialty. (laughs) So yeah, there's many prepackaged freeze dried meals. Um, You've got ReadyWise. Uh, I've got a bunch of that. My Patriot. There's various different brands on Amazon, but there's some issues. And just really quick, maybe I'll maybe I'll talk about some of the issues with them. Is the way that they're labeled? Oftentimes, like when I bought, I won't mention the brand. I bought one of these brands, and. Marked on there, they had serving size. And what I came to realize was 120 servings per, like, five-gallon kind of square bucket, uh, five-gallon bucket, really wasn't, it wasn't 120 meals. It was actually, like, three servings per meal, if that makes sense. So what ended up happening originally for us and why I actually turned my eyes towards purchasing a freeze dryer uh, was the fact that we spent several thousand dollars. We just had a a situation where we felt that it was important to, you know, get some freeze dried food. And there's a couple reasons that I'll go over uh, in a minute on, you know, why you want to consider freeze dried food. But what I had found out was the couple of thousand dollars that I spent on bulk freeze-dried food that was already prepared was convenient. It's great. You know, it is freeze-dried, so it's, you know, it's decent quality food, and it, it's it got, you know, maybe 20, 25-year, maybe longer shelf life. But theoretically, I could have bought a freeze-dryer and uh, freeze-dried our own meals and ingredients here for about the same price. So, you know, you just want to be aware that you know, sometimes just store-bought freeze-dried food can be pretty expensive. I think that's my point. And, you know, as far as home freeze-drying, it's, and freeze-drying in general, you can preserve whatever food you want. I mean, if you're a gardener, you can preserve what what's in the garden. Uh, you can buy things at farmer's markets and whatever whatever's in. It's basically the way we do it here. Whatever we eat, and whatever's in season, that's what's going in the freeze dryer from the garden, from farmers markets, from uh, meat that we get from uh, producers. And I, I like to say that freeze drying is really like the fountain of youth for your food. I mean, 25 years is a pretty long time. And uh, there's a couple of benefits. One, taste in freeze drying. 
opposed to we're we're not really going to get into dehydrating, but dehydrating is is a really good means, and we do a lot of dehydrating here also. But uh, dehydration gets you maybe one to three years of shelf life, and reconstituting freeze dried or dehydrated food takes a bit of work, and oftentimes because there's heat applied, even lower heat, the taste isn't quite as good. So freeze drying maintains your food's flavor and freshness. Shelf life, already discussed that, really, really long shelf life. Uh, Nutrition, nearly all of the nutrition that's in your fresh food at the time that you freeze dry it is proven to be locked into that food until you, you know, until you make something out of it or bring that meal up and add water. Uh, It's versatile. You can preserve dairy. You can preserve meat, produce. You can even do complete meals. It's actually really pretty easy and when you look at it home freeze-dried food is about a third of the cost as a store-bought freeze-dried when you get right down to it now there is an initial expense to freeze dryers and you're going to be talking you know two thousand to maybe three four thousand and you know so you just have to kind of look at the variables i would say for people in general that if you're concerned and you just want to build your cash for really, really long, looking really far out in the future, and you don't want to have to rotate through your food, and you just want some 20, 25 years, you know, kind of like a security plan in your food cash, then go ahead. Yeah, get some freeze-dried meals. You can get some, there's camp meals. They're fairly expensive. You you might pay 8 to 15 or $20 even for a, a freeze-dried meal for camping. But if that floats your boat, do it. As far as like home freeze-drying, um, it's a fairly, you know, I don't want to say it's complex because it's really not. It's actually really easy. You, you know, if you're going to do vegetables or fruit, you slice it up, you put it on your trays, stick it in the freeze-dryer, it freezes it, and then it, it actually... It uh, takes all the moisture out of vacuum process. I just call it alien technology. And in about a day, you get really light, easy to pack up, uh, good freeze-dried food that, that'll last you, you know, decades. And it's, it, you know, if you're going to home freeze-dry, I go back to what you said. Freeze-dry the things that you're going to use because freeze-drying ingredients is really good. I mean, we've got... You know, we've got potatoes, we've got herbs, we've got, uh, you know, chopped up anything from the garden, any produce, meats that you can add to meals, and you can freeze dry, you know, like scrambled eggs are good. We've got, we do chickens here, and freeze dried eggs are amazing. You just, you basically mix them up, pour them in the tray, there, it turns into powder, you add an equal volume of water to the eggs and you would make an omelet like you know you would nobody would know the difference between the omelet you make with freeze-dried eggs and fresh eggs so if anybody is interested in learning more on this particular avenue i would recommend we did a whole video on using our we use a harvest right freeze dryer Uh, we have the mid size which has three trays we found that to be really great for us and uh, my wife and I, she's actually the freeze-dry expert, we did a 
how to set up your freeze dryer. And we actually freeze dried, I think it was blueberries because they were in season when we did it. So we take you through the whole step-by-step thing. So we're going to make these notes for this podcast available over at ultimatesurvivaltips.com. And you can uh, go ahead and hit the podcast button, pull up the show notes, and then a link to that video will be there. Uh, Also, we'll put a link in the description for this podcast. And if you're interested in checking out freeze dryers and maybe moving in this direction, then go to ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze. And if you use, if you type that in and go to that link, you're going to go to the Harvest Right freeze dryer page. And uh, right now they're running, still running a New Year's uh, sale that you'll have access to uh, behind the curtain if you use that link. And they're going to upgrade your pump, give you free USA shipping. And I just want to tell you, the unit's about as big as a, a fairly big like college room uh, refrigerator. So it actually comes on a pallet. So saving on shipping, you get a whole starter pack with these so you can get right to freeze drying. Everything's automated, and they're going to upgrade your pump for you for a limited time. So that's at ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze, and it'll take you over there. Creek. That's my that's my thing on freeze drying. I think uh, getting some food is a good idea. Getting stuff that you're gonna use, but you don't have to use because of the immediately or you know within a year or two. And uh, if you're gonna get into home freeze drying, uh, having a garden is a really if you've got a garden, you want to store your food and you want to have it like all those benefits I talked about. Home freeze drying might be for you. I I love the category of freeze-dried foods. Um, I think you could make an argument that freeze-dried foods are the perfect survival food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on the, they're the, the only real con to freeze-dried foods is that they're expensive, you know? And um, I think there's a place for everyone's in everyone's long-term food storage pantry for freeze-dried foods. They're mm-hmm. nutritious. They're easy to reconstitute, easy to prepare. They taste good. There's variety. It'd be nice to have some built into your long-term food storage pantry. I do. Clearly, David does. Um, I don't have a freeze dryer, but I have a lot of freeze-dried food um, as a part of my set it and forget it long-term food mm-hmm. storage. Um, so it's definitely a category that as, as budget allows, you should think about because um, it could really help supplement, especially bulk dry goods that tend to be more bland, flavorless, um, monotonous type meals. You could really mix those up and add some variety to those with some, you know, turnkey freeze dried meals. That's a really good point, Creek, because if you're in a situation where you're going to have to depend on uh, your long term food preps, taste is important. I mean, you know, some fresh eggs or some, you know, fresh blueberries from <laughs> just you know, yeah. from, from 2000, uh, 2021 and 2041 are going to taste pretty good if, if for some reason, you know, those are not accessible to you at the, to- at the time. So I think you make a really good point as far as like having flavorful, fresh and something we haven't talked about. There's a lot of reasons I didn't cover that are great reasons to get a a freeze dryer and do your own food, but you get to choose the food and, you know, nutrition, if we get into a long-term scenario where you're going to have to rely on your preps and you like a lot of spaghetti or noodles or, 
or beans. There's some complexity to food and, and proteins and carbohydrates and fats that we all need. And uh, so you really need to be thinking about in the long term, what foods can I prep up that are going to provide the nutri- nutrition that I'm going to need to be able to be a functioning human being in the long term. Right. And, you know, freeze dried foods cover a lot of those bases uh, built, built right in. And you don't have to think about some of those when you're just, um, you know, versus when you're just kind of storing ingredients, which is more like a bulk dry um, good scenario. Excellent. So what other items should we be thinking about? Well, I mean, I always I always like to cover the the three bases of spices, vitamins, and fats uh, because those those are three categories that are kind of little mini categories all on their own. Um, because you, you when you talk about bland foods or eating the same meals over and over, it's it's the phrase is appetite fatigue. And if you get yourself into a scenario where you're eating the same meals over and over and over the same flavor profile, you can develop appetite fatigue. And studies have been done on people who were absolutely starving, who were suffering from starvation, who refused to eat simply because it was the same type of food, even though they were starving. And so it's a very real, it's a very real um, phenomenon, uh, the, the repulsiveness of eating the same food over and over and over again. And so keeping some spices on hand, uh, some bulk spices, uh, that can flavor some of your bulk dry goods a little bit differently to help reduce appetite fatigue can go a long way. Um, David touched on vitamins, you know, some vitamins and minerals that help round out the human diet, you know, having rotating, I wrote our family rotates through a multivitamin. We treat a multivitamin exactly like we do our top 10 to 20 and we keep those on the shelves and we rotate through multivitamins just like we do our long-term food stores. So you can solve that one pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then fats are really important, uh, but fats can be rotated through. Uh, peanut butter is a great fat. Um, it's also a great protein. Um, olive oil, we, we rotate through. Coconut oil, we rotate through. And those represent really th- the top three of our fats category um, that are simply rotation item and items that we keep a one-year supply on hand that we never have to worry is going to go bad because we're constantly rotating through those. All really good points. I don't know if our audience, our podcast audience knows that the tiny first aid guide is out. But I'm not going to talk about that now, except to say that we have a section in there, section S in the tiny first aid guide, where we talk about some spices that are medicine. And we also, uh, we talk about some natural plant remedies where there's, where there's plants that are medicine that are also food and they have uh, incredible medicinal and uh, nutritional properties and some some other things that you should keep around. So if you're interested in, in some contingency type preps as far as food and the combination of food and nutrition and, and vitamins and health, then, you know, that might be something you might want to check out. That was my favorite part of your tiny first aid guide. Oh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I love that. Uh, my wife, Karen is, is really quite an, an herbalist medicinal, uh, type person. She's been doing this for years. In fact, she's upstairs studying the the cellular biology of plant material, and she loves it. Um, I relied on her heavily. There were things that she said, you can't say that, and 
I fought and kicked and screamed, and we finally came up with something that we could both live with. So I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> that was great. Something you have on here, and this is, you know, I've seen some of your, I'm on your email list. I love your emails. Uh, you give a lot of practical training. People should go over to your website and, and sign up for that. But something I had never really thought about, and I'm thinking about a lot more because we are actually starting an organic farm here, actually have started an organic farm here this year, first generation, and uh, survival sprouting. And is is this what we call microgreens? Uh, kind of. Um, it's the step before microgreens, but okay. you could easily convert this concept into microgreens. So survival sprouting is really is something that's something really, really interesting that I think everyone should at least consider in their long-term food storage pantry. So we've talked about storing bulk dry goods, right? Well, what are those things? Most of them are seeds like wheat berries or mung beans or, you know, split peas or lentils, uh, maybe some other grains like quinoa or, you know, there's all types of different grains that you can store as a part of your bulk dry goods. Well, what's the number one missing link in long-term food storage? It's fresh produce, right? Yeah, right, right. I mean, imagine a scenario where you're getting absolutely nothing fresh. That would suck. Mm -hmm. That would, you know, our bodies would be crave fresh greens and fresh produce. And you just, it's impossible to keep in a long-term food storage pantry. And the solution to that is to store sprouting seeds exactly like you would store uh, bulk dry goods. You put them in plastic uh, buckets or containers. You buy seeds specifically for sprouting, whether it's broccoli or clover or alfalfa or radish, you know, some of the most popular mung bean, some of the most popular sprouting seeds. And with the most basic supplies known to man, some ball jars and some sprouting lids, you can sprout fresh greens, jars of them each and every day on your kitchen counter with no sun, no soil, very little water, no experience, no garden, no pots, no nothing. And over the course of just six days, you can produce jar after jar after jar of fresh greens that you could incorporate into your meals if you didn't have access to fresh greens. It solves a major major problem with long-term food storage. That's amazing, Creek. And uh, my wife and I are, are pretty well prepped. But man, going through your book, this was one area for both of us. Um, you really helped us to define, to, you know, just to kind of define and see some gaps that we have. And this is one that we have. We do have a garden. We do have some heritage seeds and all that that, you know, we can talk about in a future podcast. But but this whole sprouting seeds, sprouting seeds thing is is quite fascinating to me. And, and uh, this is something that we're going to be doing. So very interesting. Very, very interesting. Is it a hard thing to do? Is, or do you have any tips and tricks for people? Well, I'll tell you what. It takes about one minute a day of your time to sprout seeds. It is the easiest thing known to man. Like you... It, You'll spend less time sprouting your seeds than you will brushing your teeth. So me, it's say, that. me saying that we're going to get into this and not being into this already means that I'm, I'm a complete loser as far as sprouting <laughs> grains because it's so simple. 
It's so simple. And it does mean that you're missing out because you're missing out on one of the most miraculous things I've ever experienced. You put two teaspoons of seeds into a ball jar. And then six days later, the lid is about to pop off because it's so full of fresh, nutritious, energy packed, vitamin packed, mineral packed greens that you pull out. And it's just like this entire colander full of fresh greens that seemingly came from absolutely nowhere with nothing. It is a, it is a miracle of God's creation, man, to watch it happen in the course of just a few days. It's crazy. And you'll probably wonder why you're not doing this every single day and just incorporating these fresh sprouts into your diet anyway, because it's really, really neat to do the, I buy all of my sprouting seeds from a place called true leaf market. I mean, you can buy sprouting seeds from Amazon too, but I buy them by the five gallon uh, or by the, by the five pound number 10 can. And they're already pre-sealed. I just store about 35 pounds of, um, of sprouting seeds in my long-term storage. Those things are going to last for millennia, you know, inside of those cans. And I tell you what, if I ever need them, I've got an infinite gar on my kitchen counter. Nice. What was the name of that company again? True Leaf Market. And they have tons of sprouting seeds. You can buy smaller variety packs. And if you go to my website, creekstewart.com, you're going to see a big splash banner for a free sprouting. I'll walk you through for free how to do it. I'll show you exactly what you need. It's really simple. You can get in the sprouting for about 10 bucks. And um, I'll show you, I'll walk you through step-by-step a video course on exactly how to do it for free. Nice. That's really nice. All right, Creek, let's tease everybody to make sure they come back next time. You want to like kind of blitz through, and this is an area that I call forever food or food forever. Um, Go ahead and tease people a little bit. What are we going to talk about next time? Yeah, so this isn't for everyone. This is for the people who want to dig a little bit deeper into food storage. We've covered all the basics, you know, the the stuff that's easy to implement that everyone should do. That's really simple. Uh, But if you really want to geek out, then next time we're going to be talking about backyard chickens, maybe backyard rabbits. I've got some friends who do backyard rabbits. I even experimented one time with guinea pigs. All right. Now, don't hate me. Don't hate me. Uh, But they're kind of like rabbits. They eat guinea pigs in South America. All right. but um, I think David's going to dig into some home freeze drying a little bit more, maybe even beekeeping. Um, I just got my first hive of bees, bees last year, so I can learn from David on oh, this. Dave, yeah, I just got my, I'm trying to keep them alive this winter. Um, so we'll touch on some raised beds. Um, and and next, next session is when I will dig in really deep on the repackaging of bulk dry goods if you really want to geek out on bulk dry goods. Um, I'm going to walk you through step-by-step exactly, exactly what you need to do in order to repackage safely at home to protect your investment. So lots of good stuff to come if you want to dig deeper in food storage. Yeah, so you all don't want to miss that. And actually, you can help out your peeps by sharing this podcast and um, getting some more people in here because I'm telling you, this this is the number one topic I get questions about. So this has been great. Creek, before we head out of here, do you have maybe a couple of thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with today? I've got two thoughts. Remember, it's not if but when. Which means? I believe from the bottom of my heart that it's not if but when. We will all be faced with some type of a disaster in our lives. It's not pessimistic thinking. It's the truth. And the second thought is, I'm going to say this again, just in case you missed it the previous 100 times that I've said it in this podcast. 
store what you eat and eat what you store. What else is there to be to be said? Uh, I would just encourage people not to be overwhelmed and listen to everything you said in this podcast. And I do want to encourage people to go over to your website, check check out your stuff, and do pick up Creek's book. Uh, he covers in detail everything we talked about. You're going to see lists and checklists and lots and lots of color photos. Imagine that color photos just beautifully done and laid out. Um, the book is uh, makes me, like when we looked through it, um, it it was a very, very easy read and everything was, was just simply laid out. So, Creek, before we go, can you just uh, let people know where they can find you? Sure. Best place, creekstewart.com. And when you're there, be sure to hop on my email list and I will supply you with tons of great survival and disaster preparedness tips and tricks. Lots of free training uh, on that website, too. All right, everybody, we're out of time. Creek, thank you. Thank you, thank you, and I'll see you next time. Always a pleasure, buddy. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be honored if you would help us get the word out by doing two things. First, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and give us a sweet five-star review on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And second, Please pay it forward by sharing this episode with your friends and loved ones via text, email, or on social media. It's free to do so, and it's a win-win-win for everyone. And please go check out today's sponsor, Outdoor Core, to learn outdoor skills online or become an instructor yourself and make some extra jingle. And the last, 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 last thing. And don't forget to go over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com where you can also grab today's show notes for free by clicking on the podcast button on top of the page. And while you're there, you're going to want to check out my MSK-1 survival knife and my super secret coming soon new survival knife, plus my custom-designed EDC survival kits, and take 20% off my new tiny first aid guide by using code FIRSTAID20 at checkout. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. And remember, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Stay sharp.